Poway and his jade. This is Noetta Harjo from the Real Indigenous Podcast and from Geek Girl Authority. I'm here to introduce a new segment that I like to call Real Indigenous News, covering the latest Indigenous media news on our screen and everything in between. Biggest news since 2024 began is Lily Gladstone's big win at the Golden Globes. They won the Globe for the Best Female Actor Motion Picture Drama, becoming the first Indigenous person to win a Golden Globe in an acting category. Lily is currently on the long list for the BAFTA's Leading Actress Award, as well as one of the top contenders for the Best Actress category at the Academy Awards. Sierra Ornelas and Janish Meeting are teaming up once again on a new CBS comedy called Bonnie. Bonnie is a family comedy about a former backup singer who left the grind of touring 15 years ago to live on the res, help raise her brother's kids, and live her dream of being cool auntie. Sierra and Jana will write and executive produce the series with Jana starring in the series. And a bit of sad news, Taika Waititi's Our Flag Means Death was canceled by Max, aka HBO Max, after two seasons. Max released a statement saying that they will not be moving forward with the third season, but they are proud of the joyous, hilarious, and heartfelt stories that the creators, cast, and crew brought to life. They also thank the dedicated fans who embraced the stories and built a gorgeous, inclusive community surrounding the show. There is currently a petition online to bring the series back for one more season. The Change.org petition, titled Renew as a Crew, already has over 70,000 signatures. That's all the news for now. And as always, don't just keep it real, keep it real indigenous. Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these indigenous peoples get real about what's on their screens and everything in between. I'm Noetta Harjo, and with me, bringing thoughts, feelings, and critical minds is... This is Tully. This is Sunrise. Hello, this is Matt Bars. So today we are talking about a couple of things, actually. So um, we're going to start off with the latest uh, Marvel superhero to uh, have a buzz about her in the Marvel series, What If? Uh, Her name is Cohorty. And she is Mohawk. And she uh, basically is uh, given these superpowers when she comes in contact with the Tesseract, which we all know is the Space Stone, our very traumatic uh, Marvel uh, movie series MCU. So anybody want to summarize this? Okay, so in this episode, in an alternate reality, the Tesseract falls into Earth and imbues a Mohawk girl with vast power which she uses to fight the Spaniards that have come to the new world to plunder and pillage and find the legendary fountain of youth, a lake that the Tesseract lies within. So yeah, that's uh, season two, episode six of what if. I think the thing that people have been remarking about the most and what impressed me the most about this episode is that they're the only English spoken is by the narrator, which is those big headed, the big headed guy, right? What is he? The Watcher. The Watcher. The Watcher. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the uh, episode is primarily spoken in the Mohawk language, which is amazing. And the lead character is spoken by none other than Devery Jacobs, who is also Mohawk. Yeah, she's come a long way from Lollipop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> long way. 
So I don't know if you guys know that reference, but it's uh, Lollipop no. was a char- her character <laughs> in Mohawk Girls, uh, a TV a Canadian TV series from like 2015. Is that when it is? Something I mean, it's like been that? a while, so yeah. Yeah, and she, her Peacock? character was it's, a, it's it is, yeah, it is on Peacock. Yeah, yeah. So she's come a very long way from playing that character and who she is in this in this series. Like from the beginning, you can tell she's a very strong-willed character. You know, she she also is very protective of of not just her little brother, but her people. Whenever the the village is is um, attacked by the Spaniards, you know, it it really upsets her. You can tell it really upsets her because she, whenever she it gets shot and she falls into the lake, the Tesseract Lake, the first thing she wants to do is go back and help her people, which I guess any of us would be that way. Well, not really, because the people that are have already fallen through the Forbidden Lake are just kind of existing, you know. They're they're the lotus eaters. They just kind of enjoy the benefits of being in this world where there's no needs, no no conflicts. No yeah, no conflicts, that kind of thing. They they just enjoy living and are ignoring all of the things that are happening to their I guess it would be their progeny, or at least their relatives. Right, yeah, they would be, I guess, ancestors living in this other... I don't know if it's actually Sky World, but it, this other space where it seems like they indicate that there's a relationship to the sky because you fall through the lake, through the sky, into this other space. But uh, you know, it seems like they're somewhat ancestors, which I guess makes a lot of sense if we think about like the ending sequence and then bringing, bringing forth the the relationship and the power that we have with our ancestors as we combat oncoming colonialism. It does seem like there's just a, in, in that, what I'm going to call sky world, I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but in that space, it does seem like there's also the need to hunt. It's not just like they're just living off nothing, the land and not doing anything. They are active, right? There's a whole sequence where they're hunting down what look like bison versions of bison or something like these spirit animals that seem to have fruit on them so there's some activity and there's work that's involved but it's not um, necessarily that of uh, nation conflicts maybe or even it doesn't seem like there's all that many uh, in tribe conflicts well and they don't have to kill the bison or whatever those creatures are right they just pluck the fruit and then also i want to be sure this is what i saw the end also has a tree right is that this episode mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right oh, there's a... episode nine. Oh, of episode nine okay right oh so yeah I'm, right I'm, I'm mixing the two but uh, I, I will say that also debris character is not only speaking mohawk a majority of the episode she is but there's a moment where she's interacting with the conquistadors at the end and she's also speaking spanish which is that was really interesting to me just on just on the level of speaking all these other non-English languages was cool. But I think that said something about her abilities when she had gone to the other space and then come back and then she was able to communicate through their own language without having heard it before. That was really interesting. Yeah, I was wondering if that the Tesseract gave her that power to be able to communicate with anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's jumping forward in the episode, which is my probably my favorite part. When she brings a contingent to spain and confronts queen isabella yeah that was super cool that was it does it feels like this whole episode is sort of 
confronting Pocahontas a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Oh, that's yeah. a really good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there's a whole, what if colonization didn't happen? What if the Native people had the power to fight back? What if they had the technology to fight back? You know, and that's something I feel like a lot of Natives have pondered at some point. You know, what if, what if, what what would our world look like if we had that power to fight back? And of course, this doesn't really show you. I, mean, I guess it does show you what that world would look like. You know, the people in the sky world were very harm, like you said, harmonious. They were there was no care in the world. They were happy. You know, there was no killing. So I mean, it was just a very, yeah, I guess, surreal experience for for uh, our lead character. I did think it was odd that they picked Spain for them to interact with because, yes. Spain didn't necessarily colonize that part of this area. Ah, but what what if? What, but, but what, what if? if? What if? <laughs> what if? What if that made sense? Yeah, I thought that was really kind of strange, and I I assume it's because the idea of the conquistador is one that is related to this other myth of the fountain of youth, and it seemed like maybe that was the way that we're trying to you know create a a bridging mythology, I guess, across two cultures. It was strange that it was the conquistadors and not like the Dutch or the French. And if this is like the introduction for any young viewer, it feels like they might get confused or they might be learning uh, inaccurate histories, even even though this is a hypothetical series uh, that was strange. It did remind me of Metal Belt in that the two languages were the indigenous language in Spanish. Right. Yeah. And there's colonizers mm-hmm. that, that are not speaking English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which what was what were you calling those peyote westerns? I mean, that particular one is a peyote western because it is a western. This is more an eastern. Um, <laughs> and 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 the use of medicine over there uh, is an alternative to like, you know, uh, I guess what would be like a a genre that utilizes weed. You know, I forget what we call those, but you know, like if we have a uh, or a medicine like acid, I guess. You know. Uh, which is something that happened in like the 70s in Europe, especially, you know, a lot of people associate uh, also the filmmaker Jordo Dowski, who did the Holy Mountain, and he kind of created a an acid Western. The idea was that you would be taking some sort of substance while you watch the film. And in that way, it's sort of more recreational than it is spiritual. And I think Black Horse is kind of making it more spiritual. because Not that we're condoning anybody tripping on acid and watching what if right yeah right i mean i don't think that it has anything to do with this particular episode in terms of like <laughs> use of medicine even though i think there is some probably medicine implications in here somewhere well according to all of the interviews they worked very closely with the mohawk tribe to get her outfit as accurate as possible and like some of the music and they had what two native speakers three native speakers that's probably true because seeing how they did with the echo is that it it was a pretty good deep dive of course you know you're going to use your marvel aesthetic to tell the story but you know they did their best to to work with our tribal people and a lot of us you know designed the costumes and even did beadwork like crazy mad beadwork on it i'm sure it's the same thing with this show well i think this is an original character too I don't think she's been established in for sure in the movie series. And I don't think she's been in the comics series. Yeah. I miss, I was thinking of another character. Yeah. I think this yeah. character made just for this show. Uh, earlier yeah. we had talked yeah. about 
this character. And I said, I think I read an, a story about this character a long time ago, but it was a different character. So this is, a, as I understand, a brand new character for the what ifs, or not the what if, but the MCU. So that's something too, because I think she's probably the first, right? The first character that was created strictly for the MCU, at least a superhero yeah, character. Yeah, I, I think right, so. yeah, right. That's pretty big. The, the fact that it's Mohawk. Is that true? Do we know if that's true? It, it's been, I guess, advertised as if this is the first Mohawk superhero? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, it is. I have to consult Michael Shayashi's book, but <laughs> I think so. One thing I did find interesting, you know, talking about the storyline is that, yeah, it they were, cons- the Mohawk people were consulted, you know, as far as um, the language and, and, and the look of, you know, the people in the village and everything. But the story was written by a non-Native man. So, and for being written by a non-Native, I was very impressed with how well he depicted, you know, the people. I didn't go into too much explanation about who they were or where they were or, you know, anything that, you know, because, you know, with Native writers, we don't do that. We don't explain. We just write. We just go into the story. And I feel like with most non-Native writers, they've always had to explain who we are, where we're at, and why we're there, you know. Yeah, and that's Western storytelling. What was that one that Neil Gaiman did the uh, adaptation for? It was a Ghibli movie. I forget what it was called. But anyways, one of the things is that they had to explain why this person cut off their hair. And it's because that person was, it was kind of like what we do, kind of like where it was in mourning. And so it, they had to explain that in that. But most people like in Japan wouldn't know what that means. So same thing here. Like we would know what some of these things that are going on. But I think when you have the non-native storyteller trying to tell our story, they feel like they have to tell to their people. That's basically what I was saying that it, it's just interesting to me that a non-native writer was able to not have to explain everything. And, you know, for, anyone else who's not native watching this series and because i feel like that with a lot of the other western storytelling that they do that so hopefully that's our next step in this type of storytelling that we get to have more of a voice of writers and you know devery herself is a writer so it would have been nice Mm -hmm. to see her have a hand in writing this story so hopefully when the future stories come across she'll get to be there as a as a writer and perhaps even a director for the live action Yeah. yeah hopefully and, you know, this series, it seems like they keep, um, just like any other Marvel property, it seems like they return to previous characters from the previous episodes and previous seasons. So I can imagine going forward that they're probably going to return to Cohorte. That would be great if they included Devery as a writer. You know, like that would be amazing. Yeah, there was uh, some articles I read where people were like, oh, we want to see this in a live action feature. And, and, you know, that would be awesome. And so that would that would be amazing to see actual real native people being portrayed on screen in a more accurate way especially in in such a big franchise like the mcu so hopefully if they do go forward with that then and they definitely will i hope that they bring debris in for more more work either behind the scenes or in front of the camera i can't imagine that they wouldn't bring her back bring her into a live action scenario at some point maybe with secret wars or maybe with her own series or movie but i was uh really impressed with devery's voice acting she's a really good voice actor I, I don't know if she's done any other work besides besides this she has she was a voice actor on a walking dead game she voiced the character oh, of the show oh, so she's done voice okay. acting before yeah and, but yeah she was really good really really good which brings me i want to talk about the 
she appears not only in episode six, but in episode nine. And her role is definitely her role in the MCU is actually, you know, heightened in, in episode nine. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so amazing. So in episode nine, what's his name? Super, is it Dr. Strange? Is it Super Strange? Is that the, the character? Strange Supreme. Strange Supreme. Strange, yeah, Supreme. Strange Supreme is looking for Cohorte and sends Captain Carter, the enhanced Peggy Carter from the series, to find her. And he portrays her as kind of a, a threat to the universe. And so he tells Peggy Carter that she needs to be brought into him. And when Peggy meets her, she and Peggy, she tells Peggy, no, everything he's saying is not true. He's not himself. And they come to find out that he's not. He's actually an evil version of Dr. Strange trying to recreate his own world. In order to do that, he has to feed the certain um, characters uh, who are different from the MCU characters we know to his, what is it, his forge? Is that what it was, a forge? Yeah, it was the the forge. forge. What is the forge? I don't even know. I don't either. Can you somebody explain that? Something that they made up for the show, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's from season one, right? There, there's the episode where he's trying to like bring Christine back. Like, he learns. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, there's this big battle scene with Peggy Carter and Corday fighting Strange Supreme, and it it's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was. Uh, I'm talking to Angela, and I was like, uh, you know. Or actually, Angela and Matt on Wednesday. And I was like, is this kind of the thing where you're going to be screaming at your TV? And it is. I was screaming at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, like, going back real quick, the use of the, the Tesseract, it was really, or the slash the Space Stone, it was amazing to see how she would use her powers in the beginning, in episode six. And it was kind of like really almost basic kind of like made you appear like you were running really fast but then you would you could see her kind of master her abilities going into episode nine and by the time you're there and she's like she's teleporting and there's just like all sorts of amazing stuff she's doing yeah you're like getting up out of your chair and screaming you know go kahori i was anyway (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about about you all yeah i think so (laughs) So yeah, I yeah. think we should say big spoiler alert ahead in case you haven't watched it. Go watch it because we're gonna wow. we're really excited about this next part. So I mean, we've already done a little bit of spoilers for episode six, right? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else we can talk about before we go into spoilers? Just give them well, all a spoiler alert, and uh, if you what is it they say spoiler alert for the next part? If you haven't, if you don't want to be stop, stop here, go watch it and come back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or keep on keeping on okay spoilers who wants to start i feel like angela is so excited to talk about this part <laughs> <laughs> well you know the, the infinity stones show back up and Gila shows back up zombies apparently they're universal do the mohawks have zombies i don't know they i mean do. Well, yeah they, they, were, they, they were in blood quantum <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so all of these characters, like Hila, she's completely different. Well, there's an episode where she's good and she's not bad, or she turns good with help from characters from Shang-Chi. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the one that he got, though. I, I, I haven't watched the entire series, so it, it's hard to say. But like Killmogger shows up. Yep. Uh, right. He's not dead. And um, 
that he's the one who has the infinity stones, which I thought was interesting. So I need to go back and find out why he has the infinity stones. Yeah, there is another episode. I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's at the beginning of this particular season. Is that right? Or maybe I'm wrong. With Killmonger? Yeah, it's it, no, it's it's the sixth episode of the first season. What if Killmonger rescued yeah, Tony? Yeah, he yeah. develops a suit that has the stones, and that's the episode just after the zombie episode. Yeah, all of these episodes from the previous season, as well as episodes from this season, are all kind of like um, making their way into this particular episode as well. FYI, I guess if you're interested and care about the Marvel universe, you might want to you might want to just watch these and then go back. I got as far as watching uh, T'Challa become part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's that's as far as I've gotten on the first season. And then I had to like stop that and go to this season to watch this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Might be good to watch them all because yeah, yeah. The, in the first season does I like that story arc of what happened with that. I thought that was interesting of how they handled the big headed dude. Then the second season, of course, I haven't gotten all the way through, but you know, it's doing the same thing. It's building up an arc. So I'm interested to see what would happen what's going to happen with it. Yeah. And it, there is like a long-standing arc, it seems like, with Captain Carter. This mm -hmm. whole series, even right. though it seems like it's like an anthology series where we jump from different story to different story, it's still like linking Captain Carter. It seems like it's linking Doctor Strange. They all seem to combine into this last couple episodes. Um, so yeah. that's really interesting. But, yeah, she, he's pretty prominent in all of this. Yeah, was mm -hmm. she the first character in the first episode of the first She's season? The first, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I see that happening. It's sort of like season three and four of Carter, Agent Carter almost. Well, when they went to California? Yeah, I guess like whatever the, that was like one of the first MC shows, mm -hmm. right after the first Avenger. Yeah, it feels like it's just sort of like the third season. It's interesting how much they bring bring this particular character back, Peggy Carter. Yeah, I think awesome. if Reddit likes her, she's kind of like a fan fave. I like her. Mm -hmm. I think she's. So it's good to see her always pop up somewhere because, you know, she's kind of like a badass in her own own way. I have her hat. <laughs> I was asking for it back. <laughs> I'm getting it. Okay, so I have a question about during the fight sequence and they multiply Crudrap mm -hmm. Supreme and Cap Carter <laughs> multiply. But then there's like, all of a sudden there's butterflies. Yeah. What's up with the butterflies? I was, I was wondering about that too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that relates to something that happens in the Strange episode earlier in season one. I don't remember what happens with the butterflies. But Doesn't that happen in Infinity War? Does it? Don't they turn, Does don't it? They turn something into... Doesn't he do something with butterflies turn... I just watched it the other day. I don't remember. Yeah, I've only no. seen that that opening day. I've never seen it again. Maybe I'm thinking of Bubbles. bubbles. Uh, the, yeah, Bubbles. He turned uh, the gun that Peter Quill was holding okay. into Bubbles. That's yeah. Because it even comes up at the very end when big headed guy is like holding a butterfly in his finger. <laughs> big headed guy. <Maybe>. Big headed <laughs> guy being the watcher. The watcher. <laughs> the watcher. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with just the transition. I mean, that's just what they use the transition into this dream world that Peggy Carter and Steve get to be together. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it seems pretty important. It becomes like a big symbol somehow. It does. Yeah. It is very prominent. No one has yeah. to you, Angela. <laughs> Sorry, Angela. I just okay. have to go watch all of What If and see and then come back to it. At least I'm not the only one that's confused by it. I don't know if it, if it had something to do with the Haudenosaunee or oh. butterfly effect or I, I didn't know where it came from. Yeah, I definitely thought about the butterfly effect, which seems to be like related to the questions about Doctor Strange 
manipulating and re-manipulating and the consequences in this sort of like multiverse Avengers that are brought together in the end of the first season. I don't know how, how familiar people are with the series, but you know, Ultron basically is able to traverse multiverses by the end of the last season. And then the Watcher brings a series of different Avengers from different universes and timelines together to fight him from stopping him, like destroying all my multiverses. I think Strange is doing something similar as a result. And it seems like maybe there's the butterfly is related to all of those things. This sort of like butterfly effect of like one decision affecting not just one timeline, I guess, but multiple. But I don't I don't know if it's got more if that's just like symbolic interpretation or if there's like a story relationship to the butterfly as well. Right. That's that's the way I was reading, not just like the butterfly, but like that there's multiple versions in this final sequence. It's like a tactic everybody keeps using, but it feels like it's also related to this thematic question about make resorting to multiple decisions doesn't really always solve the problem. After they have their multiple person battle <laughs> and everybody is falling into the forge. This is the part I thought was super cool. Hela throws out her whatever those helmet. things are. Her helmet. helmet, yeah. yeah. Thor throws out his hammer. Shang-Chi throws out the rings. What else comes out? Like everything comes out. Isn't there a scepter that comes out? Something yeah, there's a scepter. It's probably also Hela's scepter, I guess. Or no, Thor has a scepter. Loki. Loki, right. Loki. Oh, is that what that was? And there and there's a big sword. Yeah, there's a big sword. It's uh Odin's sword. Oh, okay. So the two ladies get to pick up different things. Peggy picks up the infinity stones, right? She's got the warmonger. Mm-hmm. She's got the the warmonger had a suit and was it I think it was Cohorty like made him disappear out of it and leave the suit. So Peggy put yes. it, puts oh, it on. Yeah, that's yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That was, that was cool. <laughs> but then Cohorty picks up Thor's hammer. Which means she is all pure and good. I right. know, that's what I was yelling about. <laughs> Is she is worthy. She is worthy. <laughs> but at this point, also the um, the hell of the crown also means something because there was a previous episode where uh, Odin mentioned that people have to be of a certain nature to even wear the crown. From that point on, who puts so, that on? Is it Peggy or Kohore? Peggy does. Peggy yeah. does. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, and then Kohore gets the rings. But I thought it was very remarkable that the other two people that have ever picked up the hammer whose name I cannot pronounce are women. Mjolnir? Meow, meow. Meow, meow. Well, doesn't Star Lord pick it up at one point? Like, wasn't that a big deal in one of no, the Captain, Oh, Captain, Captain America, America picks Captain it up. Captain America picks it up. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. In Endgame. His, yeah, in Endgame, he uses it. Uh, but yeah, um, Jane Foster. Jane. She mm-hmm. uses it too. So yeah. Yes. So that's interesting. Yeah. There's only been three people. 50-50. Yeah. Well, doesn't the vision hold it in Age of Ultron? He does. Uh oh. He just kind of like casually gives it to well, I mean, um, yeah. back to Thor, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But he's not human. He's more machine, no, he's right? Not. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's all machine. <laughs> it's amazing that <laughs> we kinda this is what marvel wants is people to be, to be able to have this conversation about wait no what, what like what happened who did what and then you're not sure and then you have to go back and rewatch it yeah 
<laughs> giving them all their money. <laughs> so they put all of this stuff on. Strange Supreme is almost possessed by something, and they're like, they push that evil out of him. What mm-hmm. is that? Is it, is there an explanation of what that is? Yeah, I think, and Matt can correct me, but I think it's pretty much one of these dimensions. So, like in the episode of the first season, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? He's like, he learns that he's got to absorb the energy of all of these different powerful entities and other dimensions to have more ability. And so, I guess what happens is he not just like takes their energy; they like meld into him. So what we're seeing is like maybe one of them has become more powerful, more than him. And it's sort of wrestling power away from him. But that's something we see, kind of see at the end of that. I think it's episode episode four with Doctor Strange. And he's just sort of like consuming all these different entities. And some of them are this. They, we see them again. They repeat in this particular episode. So that's, I think, what's happening. And there was like one, I guess, quote unquote, like deity that he was fighting to wrestle and I don't know if that's the same one, but there's. I think the implication is that he kept doing it since we saw that last episode. I don't think that sort of like demon-looking one that we see is something that we've seen before specifically, but I, I think we're just assuming that um, he's been doing this a long time and this particular one is going to stop him. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Definitely got to watch the rest of the series. Yeah. Did y'all mention Korg? We, you know, Korg is all over this series. In yeah. fact, there's like there, like the first episode where, where he appears. I don't know which one that was, but he's like not even saying anything. But Tyke is still like, I guess, being cast and paid to, to just like mumble. Uh, but Korg <laughs> is all over these episodes. He becomes very prominent, I think, in a uh, Iron Man episode of this season. What if Iron Man crashed into the Grand Master where he lands on the planet where we see Korg for the first time in the in the movies? He becomes a major character in that particular episode. So there's a great presence of Taika in that. And there's some good lines. And I feel like that character, that's a good one to watch. Otherwise, he's a little bit in the background in some of these episodes. I don't know. that. I think, was it the first one where they're playing rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's like, uh, no, it's that particular episode, maybe. Is or, it? Okay. Uh, oh, maybe, maybe. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's an earlier one. But he mentions it in the Iron Man episode where he mentions to Tony Stark that the Grandmaster made him a, a paperweight and he had to sit on paper, which is his enemy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It is funny. It's hilarious. And then Howard the Duck called him rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, yeah. It's yeah. like him and Groot, Groot and Howard. Yeah. Yeah, Howard's pretty prominent in this series also. Like, if you are interested in Howard the Duck and wanted more... He's I'm one of the people who like the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if, even if you like the original movie, but I think he's pretty prominent in the first episode this season, the Nebula episode. Yeah, I saw him in the one where uh, T'Challa is with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So they pick him up instead of Peter Quill, basically, and keep him. And yeah, and he Howard the Duck's in that one, too. Yeah, and he does a good job, Seth Green. Is that who that is? Yeah. Oh, Okay. I always forget to look at like who the voice, like who the the cast is, and oh yeah, in the uh, beginning of the each episode. I was pretty impressed that Devery was, I think, second billing or third billing in the super, the Strange Supreme episode, the last one. I thought that was pretty cool, and she was like ahead of Kate Blanchett just in terms of like her mm. dominance. So that yeah. was pretty, that's, that's cool. cool. 
Yeah, I try not to read the name of people because that spoils it for me. Because oh, okay, that character's gonna be in this one. Oh, that character's gonna be in this one. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Are those the only two indigenous representations on this cartoon? Basically, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so yeah. I mean, in the end, you know, good prevails. We didn't really talk about the speech, the St. Christmas oh. Day speech that she gives. Yeah. To the the people that are in the sky world about getting back up there and getting involved in the fight and yeah and that whole yeah. motivational thing. Yeah, because I mean her whole objective in when she's in Sky World is to get back to the other world to help her people who are being taken and, and their villages are being burned by the Spaniards because the Spaniards want the fountain of youth, which they actually get to and they find the the lake with the tesseract and uh, the Spaniard loses his his men. He gets scared. So they decide to leave and they're going to take the entire village with them. So uh, there is like a a, there's just like a time limit, I guess, you know, uh, she has to hurry and get back before they actually leave, especially with her brother. She's very, very concerned about her brother. But the Spaniards do show up in Sky World. And I think that that was the first time that the others, the other uh, Mohawk people in there get to see the threats and kind of what she was dealing with before she came to them. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting idea. Just the fact that like our ancestors kind of lived in a different world, especially if it's pre-contact. And it might be very difficult for them to grasp what it means for our urgency and our conflicts after contact. That was an interesting scenario. and but, but like that speech is also one where it's like, I mean, basically there's this young woman turning into a young leader and her leadership puts her in a position where she has to confront basically elders, right? If these are ancestors, they're older than she is. And, you know, those things come with a certain uh, assumption of position and, and what she should be doing. And the fact that she speaks to them in that way, you know, just as a clear sign of like the change into contact. The fact that there's like someone who is probably a little bit younger than what's expected traditionally. And then like the the shift of like, what we need to do is this is coming from a young person. And that perhaps the the ancestors or the elders in this case are, are they're not the ones that are the most knowledgeable. That was all really interesting. Uh, and I feel like we don't, we don't really see that all that often just because there's like this element of like respect. I feel like if this were coming from an indigenous writer, the way in which that happened might have been a little bit different, but this is like very direct, very explicit. And it's almost like there's, it's not a big deal almost that she says this, they're sort of like convinced, which is good. But I feel like maybe if it were like a Mohawk writer, for example, I, I would imagine there might be a little bit more of a conflict and part of the people who are in the sky world uh, about that particular scenario. Yeah, but we, we did see this in praying a little bit. Right, exactly. Yeah. I did pray absolutely. So I mean, like that seems to be a a thing that is more prominent, maybe in relation to like these kinds of narratives where there's like you know an indigenous version of Afrofuturism. You know, it's like indigenous where it's like we got to think about like the future, and the future is young. It's you know very different from the technology is very different, and for us it's like spiritual technology, animal technology. But this uh, seems to be part of that discussion. It's like the part of the future is that the young will know as much as the old. Yeah, I mean, all, all that's very interesting. And that it also aligns with these other ideas of like things from outside our spaces in the star world or space or whatever we want to call it. This is like probably the new direction for a lot of films if they're not going to be coming of age, if they're not going to be, you know, con pre or post-contact. I anticipate we'll see more of these. 
I don't know. I told I told Angela it was it just reminded me of like in you know my matrilineal society you know the the indigenous woman gets on to the younger it, it just reminded me of the one who would, would get on to the younger kids and be like get brought up and do something mm-hmm. you know don't just sit there and 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 you know watch it happen get up and do something about it you know so that that was kind of what that reminded me of whenever I mm-hmm. watched it mm-hmm. but you know. The, but this, I don't know, is Mohawk matrilineal? Are they patrilineal? So, I mean, is is that something that I guess would would the leaders be? How who would the leaders be in in that in those uh, societies? So, that, I kind of thought about that point later on, you know, because all of our nations are different. We we look at uh, gender roles a little bit differently. So, it is interesting that coming from a non-native writer, that they would make this young woman be that person, and and of course she has to be because she is the the key character of the story. You know how how did how did that sit with people who are traditionalists in their own tribe? I just, just kind of wondered about that. I think that the Haudenosaunee are matrilineal. Yeah, and I think it's like uh, the it's the mother's clan that determines your associations. Also, so if it seems like that's related, also here, yeah. um, and the and the women are major decision makers. It seems like I mean even today I feel like that's what I keep hearing. That's uh, yeah, that's how ours are. That's how our Creek people are, our Muscogee people. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's also kind of cool. I don't know, actually, you know, if this is the case, if this is what they were after, but it feels like it's also about Sky Woman. Um, the fact that she comes from the sky and that it's also the way in which I think about her as Sky Woman is interesting in that. I guess when I hear stories, I always associate the um, the perspective of the storyteller and the actions to be from our perspective, like the living in, in this world. But this kind of changes that perspective where it's like the the giving of the name of sky woman really comes from the other world it's something that she's given when she enters that other space that somehow is just a really interesting kind of like change in position that i don't think i've ever thought about like who's describing the names of these individuals that do things for us is it our elders that were here in our world or are they a version of another world in the spirit world or, or wherever but in this case it was just interesting that's just an interesting positioning that i'd never thought of before and i don't know how that came about but like that that was very interesting so i thought that was very cool also we kind of didn't mention how much we see from like these the working with the uh the consultants so just like seeing like the longhouses both like in the regular world and then in the sky world and then seeing like corn and the squash i assume that there were three sisters there but i, I didn't i don't think i saw the beans but it feels like those were details that kind of set up the spaces and the way in which we're just almost without too much explanation they are there just like what we mentioned earlier but it felt like those things probably would not have happened without someone saying that these things should be included or they're part of the world so i I thought that was really cool and the fact that it's also in the other world and then there's other versions of these things like the animals that they're plucking the fruit from are very interesting this also relates to this tree, I guess, which what Matt mentioned is in the last episode, episode nine. For for whatever reason, I think it's just because I felt like we're looking at Cohorty, but the tree is also something that I hear is part of Skyworld. There's, you know, like some story about the tree that holds Skyworld together, basically, and there's fruit also plucked from the tree. And it seemed like that was a, I don't know if it was accidental, but it felt like you know, it felt like there was some, probably maybe some influence there. And it's like going back to this, you know, traditional iconography that we associate with the sky world. And it didn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me if I had not had the experience of the 
the Haudenosaunee story. And that also made me think about, you know, like they have the Sky Woman, I think, has children and they're like represent night and day. And that just made me think about not just two worlds, but like, I guess there are literally two worlds that she's sort of interacting with here. Uh, at least in her episode, there's like the living that is on the verge of contact. And then there's the, the non-contact ancestor world. That was just very interesting to me. And then like the final battle here with the Peggy Carter, there's like two of them. They kind of represent these two different worlds and they've got to balance things out together. And then they're against an individual. And it's it's super interesting that it's Peggy Carter that is like, we usually associate Britain with colonization, right? So there's like an element of, the colonized and the non-colonized and they're working together and uh, they're working as women leaders and one is on the left and one is on the right and we're talking about these balance of these objects and it felt like there was some element of what i interpret as like the story of sky woman and, and the progeny of sky woman that balance these things so that was really interesting and i don't again i don't know how much this was intentional but just going into that particular final episode with this like indigenous in Haudenosaunee perspective, I guess, made me come away with a different interpretation of why some of these things were important over others. So I thought that was pretty amazing. I hope this means that Echo is going to be as amazing and more so, and that these will continue. Yeah, especially like working with these individuals. It'd be great for them to be above the line, though, more often. Amen. Matt, you got any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just uh, hope uh, Disney doesn't shy away from telling original stories after this. And, um, they don't have to, I mean, they have a lot to draw on with the comics history, but this is just, it's kind of amazing that they chose to do, to do a Mohawk character. Um, but going forward, I mean, this kind of, it, it gave me a sense of wonder that I haven't had watching an MCU product in a while. I mean, Miss Marvel came kind of close. Miss Marvel did, did a good job with that, but seeing all the seeing her with the glowing eyes and just discovering her powers um just really really exciting to watch tully what do you think i think i need to finish watching it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah liking it so far and, and what and with what you guys are saying got me more hyped about it the idea of like creating a new character and making it be an indigenous person is really cool and got me excited about it even more so i think everybody should watch watch this and support all these, you know, different shows and programming that's happening, all that good stuff. I can't think of anything to say in the pertinence because I haven't seen it all. But I, I do like this series so far. And so I'm just glad and excited to see that, you know, there's a Mohawk character. But main thing, I guess, too, is like to have her have a solo show or a solo movie and, you know, do live action because I like live action stuff, which are basically cartoons anyway. I think that this proves that we can get past superhero fatigue if we tell these kinds of stories more specific more engaging ms marvel you know just had that heart in it kohore has that heart so yeah i like it well, i'm very excited because we are getting a different look at who indigenous people can be they don't have to be the sad figures that we've seen you know the ones who are always victimized or the ones who are always even villainized in some ways there can be just regular people or they can be superheroes and I'm, I'm really excited about that and also very excited for Devery because she is she's blowing up she's getting ready to be an echo um she's plays a pretty good role in that as Bonnie uh, echoes I think it's her cousin and so um 
you know, I just, with, with Devery, with Taika and even Sterling, I think that the possibilities of storytelling are definitely going to be a lot more in the future. And Sydney Freeland also on board with Echo. She's also a great storyteller. So I'm really excited to see what, what else, not just Disney, but other production companies can bring, you know, to the screens. And if that's it, I just want to say thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. Be sure to find us on the socials. We are on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram. And we also have a Patreon. So definitely go and check that out. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Indigenous. Indigenous.